Late Night Radio. Come and throw on your watch. <laughs> All right, well, damn, we used to be able to You were just chiming in. I was just about to ask in. what the event was that you were at the other week with Donna Thistlethwaite. Uh, what was what it? What was the name of that? Uh, Men's Health Matters, I think. Yeah, yeah. She, right. she ran it. She ran it. Yeah. yeah. Perfect way to have started the podcast. Exactly. We're off. Well, uh, yeah, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Trademark Radio. Uh, we've got a rugby league royalty uh, in the studio today. Very fortunate uh, to have. A man that's played 337 games of NRL, scored 87 tries in that time. Uh, he played 28 games of origin for Queensland, 23 tests for Australia, uh, and he also won a Clive Churchill medal. Darius Boyd, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Appreciate having me. Do you agree with those stats? Yeah, they're pretty spot on. They're pretty spot on, yeah. <laughs> do you remember the Wikipedia? Do you right. remember the numbers? Most of them, yeah. Touch and go a couple, but um, yeah. Pretty close. It always blows me away when athletes, like when you bring shit up and they just remember the intricate details of like everything that happened in a game because of, you know what I mean? Like cricket, they do it all the time. Oh, Mm. yeah. Well, we had, um, when we had Lockyer on, we spoke about that intercept try 2006 to begin the Origin dynasty. Mm. And just the way he spoke about like that 10 minutes that led up to that. Yeah. And how, because he was talking about how he was like, I can't remember because I was only grade eight, but they were sort of talking apparently in the papers about it probably his last origin if he didn't mm. win or whatever yeah. and how he was just like mindset on how he was just going to compete for everything in that last 10 minutes and that opportunity right and he just yeah mm. it was incredible listening back to him yeah. um mate thanks so much for coming in really appreciate it um obviously big time of the year we've got origin on tomorrow night um plenty happening dan and i dan's a new south welshman i'm a queensland well i was so just saying against him. Yeah, yeah i was watching um i was saying to you just before i was watching your highlights origin highlights just before just to pump myself up I mean, fuck, pretty good. Like, and also, but most of your tries, I think, was coming. You fed from Inglis or Thurston. Mm. Yeah, like, I can't complain with that. A lot of people <laughs> said I got you know very lucky, and I won't, I won't, I won't disagree with them. It's something that you know I was very lucky to play in the team I played in for that long period of time, and also the players that was I was next to, and um, yeah, they helped my career a lot. Mate, they, they say you create your own luck anyway, so you know you had to get yourself there in the first yeah, place. You've got to be, you there. be there, yeah, and yeah. I was lucky enough to be in a pretty solid side, so I'll take you know, a bit of you know, luck and for myself. And yeah, and could finish that as well, like you know. Yeah, you scored a double in your Origin debut, didn't you? Scored a double. Yeah, yeah I was. Um, yeah, we, we won thirty nil that game. I thought that Origin was easy. How good is this? <laughs> it's at Suncorp. Thirty nil. Scored two tries, and then realised that yeah, the next uh, game went down to Sydney, and uh, it wasn't the same. It was raining. It was cold. Eighty thousand Blues fans. Um, we got the win, but. I think it was sixteen ten or fourteen ten, but yeah, yeah, yep. I realised straight away uh, in game two that Origin's not very easy at all. So absolutely, well, uh, yeah, like like we said, we just want to sort of run through um, you know your life in an hour or so, uh, get a bit of an understanding of you know who you are, where you've come from, and, and your sort of journey. And obviously, you're a big advocate now for for mental health and well being. Um, obviously, that's what we're based around here with Trade Mud and, and TX, and we just yep. love to, yeah walk through your journey and, and find out a bit more about who you are and what's sort of, yeah, got to to where you are now. So yep. obviously you're born in born in Brizzy. Um, Gold Coast, up. actually. Oh, right. Close enough. Wikipedia is going to have to be updated. Can you update? <laughs> you can update Wikipedia yourself. Yeah, I'll go on and edit it. Do you? Yeah. yeah. I think you, you used to be able to. I have to add a few more tries on my record there too. <laughs> so, not many. so born on born on the Goldie, did yep. you obviously did you grow up there? or? Yeah, we grew up there until I was 18. Um, so yeah, lived there most of my life. Um, grew up, went to school there. Um, changed schools, went to Palm Beach, Crumb and High, just a yeah. rugby league excellent school. Tried to further my rugby league career, um, and then moved up to Brisbane. You know, when I was, had a chance to play for the Broncos, and yeah, yeah, 
um, in and around you know, Brizzy you know, ever since and call Brizzy home now. Yeah, cool. And you're, so your early childhood, like uh, we're chatting before, you've never met your father. Mm. Yeah, so. yeah, I was, yeah, I guess you don't really understand that when you're a little kid. You don't, you know, you don't understand mum, dad, siblings, brothers, sisters, any of that stuff. I guess you just kind of go with the flow, what you have. And uh, it wasn't until probably, I don't know, late teens, early adult years, you kind of understand that, you know, I don't have a father around and probably needing that role model support, father figure type, uh, mentor, I guess. And then I think that's when you really start to struggle and probably ask questions too, or why and how come and what's happened. Or, um, But yeah, by that time, my mum was you know, struggling with her mental health and well-being. Um, so yeah, I didn't have any questions to ask. I was a pretty shy, quiet kid. So I was pretty closed off, didn't ask questions. And I think it just one of those spirals that got, you know, eventually got worse and worse and so who was your support network, I suppose, growing up? Like, were you and your mother close? Yeah, my mum did a great job till I was 15. Um, but it was just really um, – my uncle and grandfather was in my life until I was 8 and 11. They passed away at those ages too. So they were great until those ages. Um, had them as – you know, they probably took up the slack as a father figures, I guess. Um, when they passed away, then it was really just my mum, my, my grandmother and myself. Um, no siblings. Um, my mum, like I said, did a great job till I was 15. You know, took me to sporting carnivals, athletics, rugby league, you know, I got, got me to change schools and go to a sport excellence school and new playstations and you know, bikes for Chrissy and all the you know things you get. So she did a great job. But then when I was fifteen, her mental health you know took a turn for the worse and mental health wasn't spoken. This is twenty years ago now. wasn't spoken about. You know, it was still you know stigma and awareness around it now, let alone twenty years ago. And I didn't understand. And you know, had ambulances come to our house and you know, psychologist meetings and. My grandmother was, you know, again at an age where she had no idea about it and didn't understand it either. So um, I probably, she kind of got a bit closed off towards my mum and I probably took her view as well, um, just being a young kid, not understanding. And yeah, tried to make it work for a couple of years till I was probably 17, 18. Um, and my mum was just, you know, she was medicated for major depression. Um, you know, I felt like she wasn't the same mum that I knew and was growing up with. Um, you know, having to meet her in... Um, mental health facilities or, you know, assisted living places. It was just, you know, it was a strange place for me to be and, and see. Um, and I just, you know, yeah, didn't didn't take to it well. And we lost contact when I was about 18 when I moved to Brisbane to start my rugby league career and um, lost contact for about eight years. How, how did you deal with that, um, you know, personally through those, you know, periods at the, I suppose, the end of your schooling um, life and your mother going through that? Like, how did you deal with it personally? Yeah, I think I just closed it off and shut it off, to be honest. And I think it worked for a period of time and you, know, you just shut it away. You think you know, it doesn't affect you and I want bigger things to do or I want to, you know, rugby league was a big part of my life. And I think it was such a big part because uh, it was that one outlet, you know, when I didn't have you know, those role models, father figures, a lot of support around. I could go and play a sport, a team sport and be around, you know, mates, friendships, coaches, meet different people. And, and if you were half good at something too, you felt, you know, you get um, rewarded, you get feedback, you get a pat on the back, just that really good feeling I guess playing a team sport so I think I really took to rugby league it was my escape and I think you know when my mum was struggling I really threw myself into rugby league I played school rugby league played club rugby league I was picked on a few rep teams as well so it was a big you know um, driver for me um, and going to a sport excellence school Palm Beach as well and there's kids signed with different clubs so it was a you know a really big um, opportunity for me to try and work hard on Myself as a rugby league player, better myself, hopefully get a contract and, and, and take that as a career path. So I think I kind of just pushed all my mum's challenges aside, you know, even not only my father, uncle and grandfather, all those little things up to the side and just really focused on rugby league. But obviously, you know, as we all know in this room, that that's um, not a good pro- a good process. It won't work out and eventually it comes back to bite you. Yeah. When you're going through all that with this, so you're saying obviously your father wasn't around, you had your grandfather and your uncle around and then you went through the shit with your mum, 
you know, you lost your grandfather and your uncle. Mm. You ever get to the point where you're like, even though you push it aside, you're like, why me? Like internally, like why has this happened to me? Oh, yeah, I think I was a big victim of my own life for a long period of time. I think that's what got me undone. You know, it was always why me, you know, um, you know too hard basket. Um, you know, when um, my grandmother was getting elderly, I was looking, you know, I was of her power of attorney. Um, I was looking after her finances. I was, you know, trying to find assisted living for her when I was living uh, in a state and she was at the Gold Coast. Um, I used to think then, you know, my mum should be doing this. That's her job, not mine. You know, I was a 22 or 23-year-old kid still really with a victim mentality that just, you know, had the you know, fixed mindset, you know, negative outlook and um, it kind of got worse and worse. It was definitely a, a bad spiral and I had no one around me really to kind of go, hey, mate, no, shake yourself out of this or you got to do this or this is the way or, you know, you know, come with me or, you know, showed some, you know, I just really needed, I had some mentors, but, you know, because I was quiet, I really didn't, you know, I didn't open up, I didn't share, um, I really didn't um, confide in anybody um, and it, it just got worse and worse and I needed some, you know, professional help. What about outside, like, like going to school every day, like does any mates at school like know what, what's happening at home, any of this kind of stuff or no, oh, not really? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, like, People, I lived with a family for a little while as well. So when my mum first um, was getting help with her mental health, um, I moved in with a family for 12 months. Um, it was a kid that I played in the club rugby league team with, so his family took me in. Uh, I was in and out there twice, actually. My mum came out of hospital for a little bit, and I just moved out with her for a couple of months, and then she went back in, and I moved back in with them. So I was in there with their family for about uh, 12 months. Um, and that just I don't know, just didn't didn't really work out. It was quite tough, I felt. Um, uh, but had my grandmother there and that was challenging. She didn't drive at night, you know, trying to get to school, get to footy training, go to places was just going to be more of a challenge. But um, I decided to you know, move back, move out of the house and move into with my grandmother and, and we, we made it work. Um, but yeah, I think so. a lot of people knew that I was, you know, because when I was living with this family, um, um, you know, the mother and the father, they'd turn up, you know, to our footy games, they'd drop me off at school, you know, so they'd see people, you know, other people dropping me off and, you know, being my caregiver, I guess. I was even, you know, getting rugby league clubs, you know, uh, recruitment uh, officers coming to, you know, meet your parents or your guardians to sign contracts. And I was meet, they were meeting with this family. So it was wow. a weird experience. So they, yeah, people knew that I was, you know, my mum wasn't around and uh, I don't know if they knew why. I don't, I don't, I don't, I didn't speak about it and I probably didn't know how to even articulate it anyway at the time. Um, but people kind of knew my mum wasn't around and I was getting help, whether it was from this family or eventually then it was my grandmother. But I mean, yeah, I, don't know, I was so young and, I just I didn't speak about it. No one really spoke to you about it. So it was just one of these these things. Some of my mates would have known, but you just don't talk about it's it. It's a hard thing to even know that. how to even ask. Like you, you know, what are you gonna? Yeah, are you, people yeah, are gonna ask you like, you know, what, what's the go here? Like, nah, they're not really gonna do that, are they? And even because I think I was a pretty shy, quiet kid, um, and still my personality I'm a bit reserved now. Is that you know, even if you go, you wouldn't ask to go to a mate's house, or that I couldn't ask them to come to mine because they'd probably you know, it's too hard. Like you know, it's, whether it's my grandmother or my mate's house, can't ask my mate to come to my mate's house you know it was just a it was just a weird dynamic you know so yeah footy was the be all end all um and it's quite sad that's probably it really like i didn't have a lot, a lot of family around didn't have any other people to really reach out to and that wasn't my personality so it was kind of footy was the be all end all and to be honest i'm lucky it worked out and, and i look back now as well to if i'm being honest i think it's probably one of the things that got me to where i got in my rugby league career because i just had no alternative and i gave it ev- absolutely everything and my best foot forward and I took that through the rest of my career. I wasn't the best kid growing up in a, as a rugby league since I wasn't making all the rep teams. I wasn't the you know the, the kid that was touted at 12. Like I didn't get a contract till I was almost 18 and 
Uh, but I think that hard work, you know, set me up for my career and my, my mindset you know, going through my career as well. It's a lot to be going through in those formative years, like in those teen years, like late teen years as well, like where they're, they're the years, I suppose, that you kind of set yourself up for professional footy, but to be dealing with all that on the side, like it's a lot. It's like... Yeah, I suppose. I, I mean, I didn't. I mean, I never really thought I'd make it. To be honest, I think you know, I used to. I used to say this to myself. And I've said this a few times. Different you know, things I do is that I used to always say to myself, "I wonder, I'll look back in five years and go, that's why you were worried you weren't good enough, or totally opposite. Um, you know, that's why you know, I always think, I wonder, in five years I'll make it. And, you know, like in five years' time, you know, hey, what were you worried? You were good enough. You made it. You know, and I used to think that all the time. I wonder, if I look back because I, mean, I used to think I can't even make you know, the Queensland, the Australian side in my own age group. How am I going to make it? To the NRL when they're the best Queensland Australian players from every age group, you know, if I can't even make my own age, like how am I going to make the, the best of the best? So, yeah, but I had to, time to develop and you know, you know grow into my body and you, you get bigger and stronger and um, you know weights and you know, your, your mindset as well is another thing that I think that you know, a lot of people don't uh, well they take for granted or you don't really understand the power of your mind. There's so much you know, there's sacrifice and dedication, hard work. There's so many things that go into being, you know, I suppose good at anything you do, whether that's um, sporting field or in business and um, that's something that I think you know, held me in good stead from rugby league purposes. That my childhood, my upbringing, probably gave me this fire, burning desire, and fire in the belly. I guess to really, you know, be the best that I could possibly be, leave no stone unturned. I think um, I was able to do that. Yeah. I feel like a lot of young blokes struggle with that self doubt, like that self, like you know, negative self talk. You know, like I'm never going to make it because you have no thoughts, but you know, not like announcing it to the world. Mm. It's just like in here. You know what yeah. I mean? But I think that's across the board. People do it through your whole life. You mm. know what I mean? There's always. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Never stops, well, I, I think. think. And then we were speaking about before off air, but now imagine social media on top of that, you know? Yeah. I, I grew up when I was these these years, these times I was growing up and so I didn't there's no social media around. So you could get away from it. You could go home and not be bullied or you could get away from it. We wouldn't have people talking about, oh, you, you know, your family or you, you know, or if you're a rugby league player or you had a bad game at, at schoolboy level or this kid that's meant to be this gun from 15, he's got all the scholarships and contracts, and then at 21 he's, you know, yeah, he's working somewhere else. He doesn't have a contract anymore, and he's meant to be this next big thing. It doesn't pan out. Well, that, that'd be hard to deal with for those kids at young ages. You well, know? that's like that uh, like that Joseph Sawali thing that's sort of playing out. Like he's mm. re- sort of really living up to his potential this season, mm. but, man, like that kid was, fuck, what? He was a grade 11 or mm. whatever, and they're like saying – you know, there was this massive, like, struggle between South and Roosters to sign him, and they're like, he's the next Sonny Bill Williams, and he's an absolute freak. And, mm-hmm. like, imagine that kid's family and how they were like, oh, my, like, it'd just be so intense. Yeah. Like, oh, so intense. Yeah. Everyone knows who you are, you, you know? He would have social media without a doubt. So you imagine his oh. social media following's probably already half <laughs> quite big, yeah. you know? Um, and then if he has a bad schoolboy game or people see him play a game, oh. it's already... But they want you to, like, they want you to fail, right? Well, <laughs> I think that's just the... The society we live in, unfortunately, yeah. it's like it makes other people feel better about themselves when you see someone, you know, <laughs> fuck it up, basically. Yeah, and I think, yeah. and then the other day too, this is the other thing I don't like in you know, in my industry and in sports is that you know, he's probably I don't know over a couple of year contract, pro signed a million dollars. You know, and he's probably eighteen years old, a couple of hundred thousand dollars a year for three years, so he's earning a million dollars over that time. With those types of money, becomes you know comes criticism because yeah. you know the, I don't know what the average wage is in Australia, but it's probably sixty or seventy grand. Oh. And this 18, 17 year old kid leaving school, never played a game before, was getting 300 or more, possibly 500 to the end of his career, end of his that contract. And with those those money, it comes expectation and pressure. And some of these kids, and you see it now that uh, commentators and the ex players, a lot of them, which oh. I, I can't stand, but anyway, that they'll come out and they'll base people's performances on money. And I get yeah. you're paid to do a job, but at the same time, that's the going rate these days. You know, when 
ex-players played in the past or when I started, you know, times have changed and money is, is you know, I get that it's a lot of money in any workforce and it could be better used, but that's just the way it is. Sports well, just gets paid a lot of money. It is the way it is. The it's NRL made a $43 million profit last year. Mm. <laughs> and so, like, you know, your Anthony Milfords and your Ash Taylors and these blokes that, you know, were on a million bucks and they just get crucified. Mm. And it's like even seeing it happen with Fafita and stuff now, the Titans, like the blokes on, you know, whatever, 1.2 or something, and mm. everyone's like, you know, you should well, be winning a game every week. See, my argument, instead of the, like, and you've got to think about, like, Dave Fafita is 22 years old. I played with him at the Broncos. He's, you know, he's a young kid, still a kid, you know, and instead of, you know, if you want to sign him for 1.2, that's that's on you as the club. Mm. But what are you doing for him in and around his game, you know, on and off the field, whether that's on the field, what can you teach him to be a better player? Because you're paying him this money, so that all that criticism is going to come to him. Yeah. How are you helping him? You know, what are you doing off the field? Who's mentoring? Who's who's his role model? Who's you know who's looking after his money? Who's looking after him and his well being off the field? Like, there's so many things that come with it. Do clubs do that? Well, good clubs do, and there's very few, in my opinion. So that's where yeah. I think, and coaches are a big part of that. And I think that's that's one of the real problems in the game, in my opinion, is that you know these kids aren't asked for all this money. Like, if you want to pay them that, of course they're going to take it. No <laughs> brainer. Like, you wouldn't, you'd never say no, and you hope they do good things with it. You hope they play good footy. But if the team's struggling, and most of the time when these clubs sign them with those big contracts, it's probably going, they're going to a team that needs someone to help them. Yeah. So they're probably going to a team that's struggling a little bit. And when they don't perform, you know, it called everything under the sun, social media, get people in the bandwagon. And in the day, we're just, you know, they're just human beings that just want playing a game they love and they get, they're doing good and they're getting paid well to do it. Yeah. But yet all these extra things come with it. And I get it's part of the game, and but I still think so much more can be done from the clubs and, and outside of it for their own players' well-being. And I just think that's where you know, a lot of clubs in, in particular are letting, letting players Let down. Players down. So yeah. you reckon the, potentially the fact that you weren't like, you know, you marked as a young fella might have been like played to your advantage because you kind of go under the radar a bit compared to like, you know, I mean, you hear it all the time about, you know, young talent that is mm. like earmarked, you know, you're going to be the, the next, next big thing, yeah. Whatever. And when you're said, you know, when you, you're going to be the next Greg Inglis or whatever, mm. That's a lot of pressure just with that alone. You know what right. I mean? One hundred percent. Straight yeah, away, yeah. like you got the expectation, but if you can kind of fly under the radar, like go without the bullshit and just come up, you know. Mm. Yeah, I think it does for sure, and I think you know, I really didn't realize how much the well that part's one. I think the and the money side is two, and it's gotten worse that money side, and then obviously social media. You know, there's a twenty four seven talk show of rugby league now, so <laughs> it's just like they have to build content. And I think another thing for players to just get an understanding as well, I guess that the quicker you can learn that it's a business and it's about you know, creating content and views and hits and data, yeah. then you can hopefully take yourself away from it because end of the day, you know, someone once said to me that works in the media industry and it's a really good point. He said, you're never going, you're never the superstar that they say you are and you're never, you know, the, the trash kicker that they, they, they talk about you either. So you're never going as good at the heights they put you at. Yep. That mega star that's, you know, the best in the world and whatever. And then you never, you know, he should retire. He's terrible. You know, he's out of form. You know, he's never that. It's just, it's heroes and villains and it's Because everything dramatic. in between is not worth reading, right? Exactly right. And I think that's when, if you can kind of understand that at an early age, one, it's a business, you know, do the best for yourself and your family. Um, and, and two, that, you know, whatever's being said about you, it's it's not always a true reflection. Yeah. I think you can, you can kind of come to terms with it a bit better in saying that I still don't agree with it, but... It's not going to change. Yeah, so that's well, the best way to handle it as a you know player in, in the game. Totally. Well, I want to talk about, um, you know, you were saying before, you know, clubs trying to sign you an 18-year-old bloke. Um, you know, what was what does that process look like? You know, like you're playing club and, and, and footy at, at school. Yeah. What What's that step into NRL? Like, how does that happen? Yeah, I think it's well, it's just playing as much footy as you can, really. And a lot of the scouts at different clubs um, going around to different, uh, probably bigger events. So, you know, Queensland schoolboy carnivals or um, – 
you know, 18s, 19s, rep carnivals, and even um, at club level, and but even earlier as well, at, you know, even 15s, there's cl- clubs around. Um, and so I was just playing footy for both school and club. Um, my first offer I actually got was from the West Tigers, um, <sighs> actually a $500 scholarship. 500 bucks. 500 bucks. And they wanted me to change schools. So Kiba Park down the Gold Coast is a big rugby league excellent school as well. And it's a bit of a rival for Palm Beach Carumban. Um They wanted me to change schools in my final year. Okay. Um, and I was never going to do that. So that was that, that was out. Um, and then I got an op- offer to go down to the Bulldogs on a two-year contract. Um, Both teams that were pretty good during that period too. 2005. Yeah, well, I yeah. was at school 2005. So the yeah. Tigers just, yeah, won, the just comp. won the comp. Yeah, and Bulldogs, they would have been... Won the comp won 2002 or three. Yeah. I think. Like that, yeah. Yeah. Early. Yeah, yeah so... Yeah, but both good clubs. Um, and I was playing at the Burley Bears at the Gold Coast at the time at the club level and they had affiliation with the Bulldogs. So they okay. had some kids that were up there playing at the Burley, at Burley and they'd go down to the Bulldogs once they finished school. Um, and then, so that was an option. That was a real option, the Bulldogs one. And then uh, my high school coach, Rod Patterson, who I still keep in contact with, a bit of a Wayne Bennett kind of person, role model, father figure type. You know, he's a lot of respect in rugby league community and, and then schooling industry as well. Um he kind of, I think the Broncos had one scholarship left, and he kind of got asked from Cyril Connell, who's passed away now, old recruitment um, manager at the Broncos, uh, who should we give it to? And I think he put my name forward. And you know, the Broncos was almost like, was my favourite team um, growing up. You know, the Gold Coast didn't really have many. Uh, they were in and out of the comp. They had the Chargers, yeah. Seagulls. Um, so the Broncos almost my favourite team since I can remember, since I was probably six or seven years old. And you know, I got a scholarship uh, to go up there. A scholarship for my final year of school and a one-year contract to leave and go up there for one year of um, you know their, their squad and their season. Um, I was never not going to take it. I remember I had a couple of mates saying, "Oh, why would you do that?" You know, they've got you know, they would look at players in your position ahead of you. You know, I think it was um, well, Carmichael Hunt was just they, uh, on the scene there. They had Scott Minto, they had Leon Bott was a new guy around. They had, had an f- unbelievable season that year. Um, Craig Frawley, Tame Tupo, they had a couple of guys at you know, wingers and. Fullback at centres, they had Justin Hodges and Brent Tate, you know, yeah. so they had gun, gun yeah. players in those positions. And remember, something you should just you know, go to the Tigers or the Bulldogs that don't have those as good people in front yeah. of you. But I never even looked at it like that. Again, I never thought about playing NRL. I just, you know, fuck, that's wild. Hey. To get into the system <laughs> yeah. was what I wanted to do. Yeah, and yeah. The Broncos, my favourite team, so why wouldn't I do that? It was yeah. just a no brainer. And it's an only an hour drive up the highway. Yeah. It's just, it was a no brainer. And I wanted to hopefully play Queensland Cup um, the following season uh, in the Broncos system. And and just go from there. Yeah. And so when you get – so you obviously got your scholarship. You come in and you, did you do a uh, pre-season that year with the with the Broncos? Yeah. yeah so originally I think the year at school they took you up for a camp. They do a couple of testing. You up a three-day camp. You do, you know, beep test, bench press test. You do some skills and whatnot and just see where you're at. And they, they take you on some fitness tests and kind of just say – give you a little insight. We train a taste with the, of it. We trained with the Broncos in their pre-season and it would have been 05 pre-season. Did a session with them, so all these kids from school come and do the session with the main team, just to kind of see. We had to, we had to do twenty one hundreds in like certain times um, on the minute. I think it was like you know, twenty seconds on, forty seconds off. Do twenty of them, and it was different groups. It was like a fast, medium, and a slow group. So, kind of just getting into that, seeing a couple of guys that I'd played schoolboys with the year before, and other guys that I'd you know watched on TV, get a little bit of a taste of it, and go, oh, "This is what it's like." Um, and then yeah. So obviously signed that contract, went up to Brisbane, uh, moved into the Broncos' house. At a house, they put three or four players in from you know different places around Queensland or wherever, uh, even New Zealand. Um, and then yeah, we went, we did a six day army camp. My first um, thing into the Broncos, my first I suppose uh, stepping into the Broncos was a six day army camp. Um, that was really really tough. Uh, wasn't you know, but again, it was pretty cool to do it with some of those you know web keys and. 
Corey Parkers and um, Darren Lockers and those type of players. Quite pretty cool to do some of those things with your idols, I guess. Um, and then you're just straight into it. Uh, yeah. Living at this Broncos house, um, six days a week. I only got Sundays off, getting smashed, but getting in really good shape. Um, it was just a massive learning curve, but something that you know was really good for me. How was your headspace through all this? Because you you were chatting before about like the negative talks that are being like, "Am I good enough?" You know, how were you in those early stages? Again, like mindset wise, were you like, like "I'm just gonna day by day," or like, "Yeah, yeah what did oh, it look I didn't." Like? To be honest, I don't even think I thought that way. I was I was in a really good space. I think it was just my it was my dream. To be honest, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm up moved to Brisbane. I think you know, moving to Brisbane was was tough. Um, Again, being a shy, quiet kid, you know, going out of your comfort zone. Even though it was an hour trip up the highway, moving in with his family. You know, they had, they had um, some kids, fourteen-year-old boys themselves, twin, twin boys. Um, you know, it was a three-story home, right you know, walking distance to Red Hill where they train. Um, a couple of boys uh, from you know, Central Queensland, one from the Sunshine Coast, one from New Zealand. So there was four of us. We got to you know mingle and, and meet each other pretty quickly and, and get a bit of a bond. Um, and then just yeah, getting to training. I had you know had to buy a car. I had to uh, or you know, worry about getting lifts. Um, Sam Thider used to live at that house, so he'd come around occasionally. He took me to training a little bit a few times. So you get to know everyone pretty quickly. The camp was great just to get to know everyone in that six days. I think that's what is great about the camp. Obviously, you learn a, a lot as far as mindset and work ethic, but it's really good bonding and how to meet new people as well. So that was good. Um, but, yeah, it was just – my mindset was good, I think. So I was just, you know, all this Broncos kit, you know, free yeah. night clothes, um, getting paid more than I've ever been paid. It wasn't much, but – I was happy, you know, um, and was running around with Darren Lockyer and Sean Berrigan and Petro and all these, you know, superstars I've been watching on uh, for years and years on TV. So I was just in this whirlwind and, you know, like I probably couldn't have got the grin off my face, to be honest. Yeah. It sounds like you just felt like you were lucky to be there. Oh, 100%. Yeah, like I said, I never was this touted kid. You know, I was always decent rugby league player, but I was never the, you know, I made Queensland Australian school boys in my last year, which, which was really exciting for me. And then obviously going to the Broncos was huge, but... Uh, I was never this big touted thing, and so just going up there, like I said, I was going up to hopefully play Queensland Cup. I'd played one Queensland Cup game um, when I was at school, so I'd played under the 19s mostly before that. So to go up there and play against men and play in their reserve grade comp with some you know fringe Broncos really players and, and ex Broncos yeah. players was going to be a good challenge for me. So I was looking forward to that. Never even thought about playing for the Broncos still, even at that stage, because it's just I don't know it's just so far out of your thinking I guess and I just wanted to you know I was just enjoying the time and the ride talk us through you uh you know your relationship with Wayne Bennett and how that sort of came about obviously he was your head coach but how how did you create that bond because it's been like fairly well publicized how much of a you know father figure Mm -hmm. he was through your career I don't know are you still close now yeah yeah we still keep in contact we still speak to each other a fair bit um yeah he was just someone that and he does this for a lot of people I just probably took to him more I think because you know of my situation um but he just cares and I think that's what um, and I think that's the art of coaching, to be honest, is you know, if you and the art of just you know managing people or you know leading a leading a team is that if you care about someone, they'll they'll they're obviously good at what they do. They're in the in the building for that reason. They're good at what they do to get the best out of someone. If you show you know if you value them, you respect them, you show them that you care, then they'll they'll they'll, they'll put their best foot forward. And I think that's what I've seen with Wayne. He cares about his players. He wants them to you know succeed off the field just as much as on it. And I think that's you know he tries to take any distractions away. He asked questions about, you know, your family. He'd ask me about my grandmother, my mother, what's my history, you know, um, why, why haven't I spoken to my mum in this amount of time? Do you think I should go speak to her, you know? Um, have I bought a house yet? You know, when I signed a better contract, have you bought a house? If I bought a car before a house and he, and he clipped me over the years, you know, gave me a bit of a spray for that. So just really trying to be that role model 
you know, father figure. And I don't think he purposely takes on. It's just his nature and that's what he does. And that's why I think he's been so successful such a long period of time because players want to play for him because he just cares. He genuinely cares. And I think that's what um, you can see the, the the genuine side comes out of him. And I think that's what I really took to as a young kid. And what does that look like? Obviously, at training and stuff like that. But is it sort of outside when you're like, like something's going on or I need advice? Like, is it it's outside of like being at, you know, the Broncos at Red Hill or whatever. It's like, you know, you're home, you're struggling, you need to know something. Like, you're on the phone talking. Is that the sort of relationship no, it is? No, thing I think a lot of people probably didn't understand. Well, when we, I mean, I was, like I said, I was a pretty shy, quiet kid for a long period of time. Like, our, our relationship's grown since I've, you know, made some changes in my own personal life because I've been able to open up and share and, and discuss things a lot more. But prior to that, it was hard to get two words out of me. That was just the kind of kid I was. And, you know, Wayne doesn't speak a lot either, you know. Yeah. He, he likes to listen. He, he kind of evaluates you while you you – you're the dummy and just keep speaking. You know, he'll keep evaluating until you don't shut up, you know. So he doesn't say a lot either. And on the footy field, he'd give you, you know, some direct little terms. But apart from that, he wouldn't say a lot. Um, Must have had a few awkward silences with the big fella. Plenty, plenty <laughs> of awkward silences, yeah. There's plenty, plenty, especially in the early years. And But, you know, he knew when to ask the right questions. Again, you, you knew that you could trust him, that he cared. He, he asked the right questions. He, he generally cared. He'd remember about certain things. If he'd seen you were off, he would call you in the office and ask you what's going on. So I had plenty of times I was sitting across from him like we're sitting today and I'd break down in tears about different different things, whether it was my own performance or you know family or or whatever. And that's where you build that trust, you build a rapport, you build respect. Um, and I just generally knew he cared. So I, I generally knew that even though I didn't open up enough in my early years, I knew that I could if I had to. And I knew he cared about me on and off the field, which was you know, uh, one of his you know, traits. Yeah, absolutely. So well, at, what point, at what point in time did you actually start to believe that you were sort of going to be good enough? You know what I mean? That's a good question. I mean, I guess obviously I got picked in round one in 2006, so I didn't trial too well in the, in the preseason going into that first uh, game. And again, I wasn't expecting to play. Um, I've trial actually. I trialed the first game was a you know, it was a mixed Q Cup uh, NRL trial against the Cowboys in Rockhampton. I played okay in that one. Um, the next game was a full NRL trial, and we played Canberra and Wagga Wagga, I think it was, or Orange, and um, I dropped about three balls. I just wasn't used to being, you know, contacted against men. I was an 18 year old kid playing against men, just in contact. Lost the ball a couple of times. Um, Wayne didn't pick me for the third trial against Melbourne. They used to always play Melbourne at, at Toowoomba, uh, and then Justin Hodges pulled out, and um, he said, "Oh, playing Melbourne," uh, and I, Greg Inglis was the centre at, at Melbourne. Just his a year out from me, he's the same age actually, but he de- debuted a year before me and um, he had an unreal season at Melbourne. He goes, well, you played against, you know, as Wayne does, you played against that kid at school, didn't you? You, you can tackle him. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like freaking out, but yeah, I can tackle him. He was all right, you can play centre and you mark him then. I was like, yep, no worries. So I'm playing an NRL trial again next to Mocky and Tady and all these players, playing Mark and Greg Inglis. And I'd already played him in schoolboys, but he's bigger, stronger, faster from his Melbourne, you know, 12 months at Melbourne and Actually played okay in that game, did some good things, and um, but still didn't think anything of it. And then there's always a week off before the season, so you have that last trial, you have the weekend off the following weekend, and, the bo- uh, and then the f- round one. Uh, I never really played on the left wing, but all of a sudden um, through training, I was, I was on the left wing with um, Sean Berrigan, I was training there a lot, you know, on left wing and, and doing defensive you know, um, drills and things. I'm thinking, I started to think, well, I might be playing here. Like, why am I on the left? Like, there's other guys that could be in this spot. Like, why does he keep training me there? He didn't say anything. And then you know, just before the round one game come up, he told me I was playing first game on the left wing. Um, and I just remember, yeah, obviously didn't have a lot of people to call, but um, my grandmother was one and you know, a couple of friends and things. And um, and then it, just, it all just started from there. You know, getting photos for paper, like papers and, you know, headshots and, 
and then you start playing a few games and people you know go go back to the Gold Coast a fair bit and you're walking down the mall and people want to get a photo with you and I, and I was just like oh this is you know whole new world well yeah and I didn't again that's something that I struggled with I think because I knew this is probably my negative mindset coming back then I think I knew that I wasn't a popular kid at school you know I didn't have a lot of friends I wasn't you know I didn't go out to parties I wasn't drinking you know it was hard for me in my situation too to do those type of things so as you're a teenager and you're doing all these things that wasn't me so I wasn't a popular kid at school by any means and then one year later I started to be this popular person because I'm playing rugby league and I really did struggle with that because I'm still the same person, but all of a sudden I'm popular because I've, I play a sport and I'm on TV. Uh, and that, I think, really warped my outlook on life and people too. I really didn't like that because I just wasn't me as a person anyway, let alone, yeah, I just didn't really comprehend that well. And it probably took me a really long time to um, come to terms with that, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, we're just kicking off, you know, you're talking about, you know, the popularity as a footy player. And being so, you know, different to who you were at school and how hard that was for you to take. And then, yeah, Ed, you and when we were just off air, you were mentioning imposter syndrome, syndrome something yeah. that a lot of us know, you know, a lot about. Is that mm. kind of what you felt? Or was it more along the lines of these people only like me because I'm a footy player and they don't actually give a fuck about who I am? Yeah, it was probably a number of things, I think. I just really didn't um, know how to grasp it. You know, I knew that, you know, six months prior, I just, you know, didn't have a lot of people around me, didn't have a lot of people to support me or care and then all of a sudden you know, people want a photo or you know, signatures or you know, want to have a chat. Um, and I probably, to be honest, yeah, there's probably a bit of time where I probably, um, what's the word, I guess, entertained it and, and wanted to impress people and wanted to be everyone's mate and um, feel like I was cool or whatever just because I didn't have that when I was a kid and probably wanted to feel you know, important or cared about or special or whatever you want to call it. Um, and then... And then, yeah, after a while, you know, I've really realised and I probably, it's probably one of the things that's um, been good for me as far as, you know, even just retiring and, and leaving the sport is that I've never, and I don't, like I said, off air, I don't have social media, you know, so it's not something that I'm not trying to keep up with anything and I don't, um, that's not to disrespect anyone that does have social media or do other <laughs> things, but I just think that for me personally, what works for me, that's just something that's, I think, been uh, really good for me. It's just something that I always wanted to play rugby league because I love the game, never because of anything else. I uh, never really enjoyed the other aspects that come with it. I learned how to deal with it and, and, and play the game essentially with, with media and, and um, you know events and other things, I guess. Um, but it wasn't something that come naturally to me. And um, you know now that I'm out of the game, I don't I don't miss those side of things. I don't chase that stuff either. So it's kind of I think it's been one easy way for me to kind of just. Um, Slowly get out of the game and do what I want to do and, and you know, give back and help others, um, but do it in a way that you know suits me best, I guess. So when was it? Do you remember the first time you had to do like a TV interview, like a media interview? Um, I I don't really remember the first one. The Bronx were good. Um, they used to put media bands on. You know, well, Wayne was good. I should say, put media bands on. Um, you know, young kids that were coming in. So my first whole year, I didn't really do a lot of media. Um, but <clears throat> I had a few little run, running instances that just was not good for someone like me to come across for example I remember sitting at a game I think it was in Penrith might be mid, mid through the first year and um, a journalist come up and they had the little you know recording mic but he just started chatting to me like you know oh that's a good game mate you know blah 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 well, that, what did you think of it blah 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 and all of a sudden I just seen his little mic just starting to get closer to my face <sighs> and I was like oh you're not recording hey? and he was like Cause I'm not allowed to I'm off and he's oh that's right no sorry mate I completely forgot no worries all good uh, you had a good game and you know just walked off and that bit was, invasive, bit. Well, that was just like he was trying to get his little story yeah, out of yeah. me before, and I just, I just had some of these little instances. You know, these, you know, 
not long after that, or maybe 12 months after, they rang my grandmother up. You know, my grandmother's a, I don't know, she was probably 80 years of age at this time, 78 <laughs> or 80 years of age, elderly woman, woman living by herself. Just some vulnerable. Day, yeah, vulnerable. Just <laughs> rang her up asking about, you know, what's he doing? Where's he going? You know, different clubs or contracts and things. And my, you know, my grandmother being, you know, proud of me as, you know, NRL player was giving as much info as she possibly could. Oh, was she? Um, <laughs> well, that's she, how they get their fucking credit card details. Like yeah. when you get well, telemarketed, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like exactly. just, right. like, so I just had some of these little instances <laughs> along the way. You know, I was already, again, like I said, a victim of my own life. I had some challenges. I didn't trust people because, you know, my mum left. I didn't have a dad. My uncle and grandfather left, even though they passed away. They These people, were, well, my closest people were leaving me for different reasons. So I had a lot of trust issues and then... You know, in the media, I'm in this big ga- game of rugby league, loving this sport, and all of a sudden I'm getting let down by well, the media just do some little shady things and they'll ring up your closest people and try to get around you and speak to them. And it just started, that started happening really early on. And that, you can you know, understand my why, thinking again. You can understand why it creates um, like that, that hatred and that divide between like professional athletes and obviously the general public and then that's how the general public is forming their opinion about you as a person because they only see you in the media Mm. or when you're playing but you're not saying anything when you're playing they're just seeing how you play so like you can understand how there's that massive disconnect between reality or perceived reality and actually what is going on and it's like how long did it take you through your career to sort of understand that you probably needed to mold or you know, create your own narrative, I suppose. Like, how did how did that come about? Uh, it wasn't until I you know, went to a mental health facility myself. As someone, I was you know, really struggling in Newcastle just with a few different things, you know, not coming to terms with my mum and those situations. Um, my grandmother, you know, my, my performances, my, I, you know, put rugby league first and my family and everything else second, probably from my childhood. Um, so when rugby league wasn't going well, I was injured, you know, getting criticised, um, scrutiny, then I, you know, my whole life would come crashing down. So it wasn't probably till I, you know, spent three weeks there and just, learned some things, some tools, some tips, you know, wanted to change my life, turn it around, that I've really understood that, you know, rugby league, you know, at the end of the day we get paid, Come the money that comes through the game is through the media, you know, um, they're not always out to get you and if they, even if they are, you just got to, you know, hold the high road and be the best version that you can be, don't act, don't just stoop to their level, that was my mentality as well, so just, um, and kind of just say yes, you know, for such a long time I'd been hiding away, trying to hide my life away, I didn't want people to know, you know, who I was, what it was about, um, anything about my family or my closest people, um, so I used to decline interviews. I'd say no, I wouldn't even speak in interviews. You know, people have seen those ones. You know, said, was that infamous one? Yeah, yeah that, that, that two-word answer one. That yeah. one was part of that. You know, so just, just all these things. That, but then, like you said, people are making um, up their own assumptions of who you are as a person, and most people thought probably negatively of me because of yeah. what I was doing in the media, and I was doing it to the media, not to the general public. Totally. But I didn't know yeah. that because I wasn't. Um, you know, I didn't understand that at the time, so I just had to, you know, change my mindset on a lot of things, and that was one big part of things. Uh, it's also, yeah, well. it's pretty hard to be like, you're never going to be like, well, actually, you don't understand, you know, where what I've been through, and also, you're never going to explain your trust issues or any of that kind of shit. You're just going to be like, be that vulnerable, yeah. You just no, sort of cut it not, off, piss off. Imagine yeah, having like, to try explain like explain it to everyone you come across. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I'm not as comfortable in these situations for all these reasons. Just like, yeah. well, fuck it. Yeah, well, I just had no idea to be honest. I just thought, you know, I'm, I'm in this. You just trust. You just trust into it, you know. And and then, like I said, when we spoke about the start, and you have you know, clubs have a big part to play. And I think you know these days as well, being managers and you know career coaches and a lot of other people in clubs that can really you know guide people along and make sure there's a media manager there looking after you when you're doing media and what questions they're asking. And let's not put him up today because they might ask this. Let's put a more experienced person up. So there's just Shield so much more around it these days. And um, and there has to be, but you know, at that time, you know, there wasn't a lot. So you know, 
I was kind of just thrust in there. Did a bit of media training, but again, didn't you know, wasn't good at it. Still didn't understand it. Didn't like it. Didn't want to do it. So, and if you don't want to do something, yeah. you're not going to do it well. Um, and yeah, again, those trust issues, the, the little couple of things that I'd come across early in my career with the media, put a bit sour taste in my mouth. And you know, once you know, I was a once I had a fixed mindset on something or closed off. It. Oh, that was it. That yeah. was that. That was me at that period of time. So you couldn't change my mind. So yeah. you never have. You like, have you ever had social media? Ever had it? Oh, I had Facebook. I had a you know fake name. Um, probably hundred friends for a bit. So not, apart from that, but no, I've never never had it. I was, like I said, I've got LinkedIn now just for some work stuff. But I've never really had it. Had MySpace for a little bit, just going with the fad like everyone did, I guess. But um, yeah, it just doesn't it just doesn't suit me as a person. My personality, you know, even LinkedIn, I find I find it challenging for me personally. Yeah, just would they doing something or doing an event and then almost spruiking myself on there? I just I don't know. I just I it just doesn't sit well with me. But that's fine. Like I said, I'm not bagging anyone that has it because that's you know that's how you you know feed your family and do work good things so it's 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 uh it's definitely really useful so my wife you know does a lot of work on there and makes a really good income on there too so it's just not me as a person so, so in those so in those um years like you know when you haven't run into the media or you know all that kind of stuff like how are you actually consuming that content like are you aware of it like are you reading papers are you watching you're watching the news like seeing like where are you seeing it how do you know that it's not being received well i used to google my name multiple times a day bullshit multiple times a day yeah it was really to see bad. what new yeah. what was, what and then if was anyone was up. writing something bad i'd make sure i knew the journalist's name i'd never speak to him again that was the holy fuck that is the, full on yeah there wasn't again like i said it wasn't yeah much social around so and, and you know and Wayne used Wayne was he always used to say, "Don't read the papers." And if you want to read the paper, or tell your mum to get, grab it, or you, this is in general, or whoever to grab it, and you read it after the game, if, yeah. you know. So I used to take that on board a little bit, and then there was a, after a while, there was a period where I wouldn't buy the paper, but I'd either you Google it, or I'd go like, go to a shop purposely to just go look at it, and look through it, and, you know, just have a look at see what things were written. Um, so in a sense, you're like constantly looking over your shoulder, almost. Well, just. Yeah, constantly living in that negative spiral. Space, yeah. yeah, and and when it got, I suppose it was in a period of time though when I wasn't playing well. I was in Newcastle. Our team was struggling a bit, so I knew that that was out there because I just knew, you know. Um, so I probably never experienced that before. So I probably wasn't like that at other you know, okay. originally. Yeah. Um, because you had so, success, obviously. Yeah. Broncos prior and prior to that, I was pretty successful. So it wasn't a lot of you lose a game, but I wasn't that bad. Yeah. But when Newcastle didn't make the finals for the first time, in my career probably six years into my career. A um, couple of injuries, you know, other criticism, other challenges. Uh, like I said, my, my grandmother away from home from her and uh, I was going through my own mental health struggles at that time. It was probably really starting to come out then. Um, so that's where I was, it's that downward spiral. I, mean, I wouldn't leave the house. You want to go to the shop and someone, yeah. oh, what are you doing, mate? You suck. He's yeah. lost, and, you know, whatever. And we lost seven games in a row in Newcastle at one point. So <clears throat> I don't think I left the house for much in those seven weeks apart from going to training and, and playing games. Um, obviously, that took you know, a massive um, toll on my you know, closest friends and my wife as well. It's an interesting one, right? So, you know, obviously, you know, when you're up, you're full of confidence, and it's you know, it's just another another day. Whoever you you know competing against that week, you know, you're probably feeling as though you you, you can beat them, right? But when you're mm. losing in a team environment, because I suppose people take losing or failure or mistakes differently, right? But how how as a team? Do you change that mentality of going from like seven losses, don't want to leave the house, can't read the paper, fuck, we're so shit, mm. to turning that around? Like, what happens? What do you need to do? Well, that's a million dollar question. I think, uh, to be honest, you know, it's an old, old cliche, but you just got to keep working hard at training and just keep, you know, keep turning up, keep working hard, um, 
and hope the tide will turn. You and really take just, the little wins or something like that. Like yeah, I, mean, I guess yeah, you can do that as well. I guess in different games, whether you played well for the first half and then you lost in the second or whatever, you know, you take those you know parts of the performances. You know, try and freshen up. Maybe go do something different. Don't go to training if you've got training three days this week. Maybe one of those days we'll go to the movies as a team and just chill go out, watch a movie, just get yeah. away from footy, get Break away the cycle. Yeah, just get out of that cycle, get out of that you know that negative space because sometimes. When you're struggling, you don't want it. Like almost turn up to work, it just reminds you of all that negativity. Whether it's you know, any workforce, you know, whether it's sport or whatever. So, you just got to try and mix it up, freshen up. You know, freshen the body. Whether it's freshen the mind. Um, you know, focus on some of those positives, like you say. And because you don't stop, for, you know, like you don't forget how to play football. No, it's confidence. But, but that, like that's because the like I'm. You know, the sports psychology side of things, mm. it's just incredible, right? Like even like Daniel Ricciardo and the F1 stuff at the moment, like that guy. It's a freak, right? Mm. But all of a sudden, he's like lost a bit of confidence yeah. and like he's way off. And it's sort of, it's like seems to just be his head, mm. which is incredible. Like we've been talking about like the power of the mind. And it's yeah. sort of, I suppose, how important is that now um, for sporting clubs and sports people, mm. the actual mindset? Like, is that something that people are really getting into now? Oh, I couldn't, I can't speak for all sports. I think, you know, I think, you know, I've just come in before today. I think there's about, about two. Nathan Brown got sacked, I think, today, and looks like Michael Maguire at the Tigers about to get sacked too. <laughs> Sometimes I think, you know, Michael Maguire's won a comp. Um, you know, Paul Green doesn't have a job at the moment, he's won a comp. You know, so, you know, it's a it's a volatile industry, sports, whether you're coaching or you're a player um, or an athlete. But I, I generally think the mindset and the mind has got to be, you know, more than, it's almost more than 50% because like I said before you're in, if you're in the building anyone in yeah. this room you you're here because you're good at what you do yeah so the other part is that well, you your mind has to match that you know whether it's, whether it's your physical capabilities or whether it's you know your other you know educational skills or whatever but your mind has to match that so what is your home life like are you eating healthy you get enough sleep um, you know do you have a positive you know growth mindset you know are you uh, open to new things you know help you know do you like helping people there's all these other things that um, you know, getting away, for example, rugby league, you know, if you've got a day off on Wednesday, don't um, watch highlights <laughs> or um, you know, sit at home and do nothing. You know, go out and spend time with your family or go play golf or go, get away from the game. Go go away from – get out of it. Escape out of it. Yeah, get yeah. away from it so you can clear your mind, um, freshen up, then come back and then you're ready to go, you know, on Thursday or whatever day it is. So I think the mindset thing is huge and I think it's only going to get bigger, especially with, like we were speaking about before, social media. You know, if you don't play well – when I when I first started playing, you could read it in the ga- in the paper tomorrow and then it'd be gone. Um, now it's it's on talk shows straight after the game. It, social media it's, you're criticised on your own personal page on the you know club's page, um, and then it's it's constantly put in your face until you prove otherwise and play better the next week or in four weeks time. It's it's never ending and that's a, that's a hard thing to swallow for athletes today. And as you say, it's all the whole thing's just advertising. Look, everything, mm. whatever you can do to sell a page or a paper oh, or yeah. whatever mm. so that advertisers can buy their space in the page. You know what I mean? So yeah. the clicks, it's, it's well, literally the only thing. It's, yeah. it's a headline. You don't have to read the article. If you click in the headline and the headline doesn't match the article, it doesn't matter. They've already got it's their data. In, it's, yeah. it's done. Yeah. You know? So it's, yeah, the mindset work, I think, you know, in my opinion, is you know, got to go further, and I think it starts with you know, the, it definitely starts with the clubs and the you know the head coaches, the ones that drive a lot of that because you know you can have you know, like I said, we've got well-being managers and so much support in clubs now and you know funding for it, but if you're not getting the communication, the care, the trust, the value from the head coach, then if say I was a well-being manager and I was trying to help you and we had this plan and this. Check regular check-ins, and we will, you know, got your hobbies and interests, and we will do all this work to work on your well-being plan. But then the head coach that picks the team isn't 
talking to you, he's not communicating to you, he's not telling you why you're in the team, why you're out, he doesn't, um, you know, you're injured, you know, then that your well-being is not going to be good because the person that you need the most clarification from and, and trust in isn't giving it to you. Yeah. So I really think a big part of it comes from obviously the top and the club down, but the head coach. In That's a big thing. Yeah. That's a massive thing that I even we've learned, like you know, with our organisations, like, and it's never something you nail. I don't think you ever nail it. You're constantly no. working on it. Like you're constantly going to work on the way you're communicating with each other and your yeah. team and how information's filtering, you know, through. Yeah. And there's all these external factors that contribute mm. to how good you are at that. Like. You know, if cash flow is not good or if there's stresses for whatever reason, you know what I mean? You go into your shell a bit and you're like, yeah. you know, you're good at it one week and then another week you're just like, nah, yeah. you're, you're dealing with your own shit. You know what I mean? It's mm. harder to harder to keep it up, you know? So I think, I think if you, but I think if you're open and you know that the, um, you know, the, 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 the boss or the, you know, the manager, the, the head coach or whoever you are in a leadership role, if they I generally have a care in that space, then it doesn't matter if you don't get it right because it, it's just – they care. They understand. They're happy to have a conversation. They're happy to work with you. Um, if you bring something up, that it's it's no it's no problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think totally. that's the key. It's not so. It's just it's not so much. You have to have all the answers and be perfect. It's just about you know, knowing that those people generally care and they want the best for you. And if if we can do something better, I'm all ears for it. And I think that's that's the real key. And is that obviously you know you won a comp in your first year, then you played Origin 2008, um, then you left the Bronx, went with Wayne to the Dragons. How did that process? Because obviously you'd, you'd built such a rapport with him, you just wanted to wanted to go with him. Was that the main main reason he was moving on? No, I was actually. I'd, so I, this is when I really learned the rugby league's a business. You talk about loyalty a lot, and I probably got you know, criticised for loyalty over the years, especially when I left the Dragons. I think because we were successful there, and I did follow Wayne after that. Um, but when I was at the Broncos, you know, I didn't know that um, if the club doesn't want you, you don't you don't stay there. <laughs> so I had a contract for two thousand and nine. Um, I remember Wayne grabbing me and just saying, um, look, you better go have a chat with management upstairs, see what they plan for you. And I was like, that was a bit strange. So I went up and um, chatted to, I think it was Andrew G, the footy manager at the time, ex-player, and he just said, look, you've just played State of Origin. Um, you're doing really well. But after 2009, we won't re-sign you. And this was in 2008. So he goes, did you miles and leave now? Are you playing good footy? You're not, inju- uh, not injured. Hold Stayed State of Origin. Fuck. And this was later yeah. in the year because I'd already – my manager, I said there was um, – I wanted to see if I could extend my contract. My manager said, oh, Broncos aren't willing to extend it, but blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, well, I want to – I could see there's other options. I was like, no, I want to stay. Um, so this was later in the year. So when I found, I found that out and me being um, that – wanting trust and being valued, oh, I was man. out. I was, as soon as you said, I was out. I was never staying for 2009. Even if you know, doubled my pay, I was never staying because once I was told – You, you just know, felt wanted, totally let down. Yeah, I was just like, I'm out. So Wayne was like, well, you can come with me. I remember going back down to Wayne – probably had a few tears in my eyes and he's like yeah you can come with me and and by then i think um sunny bill left the bulldogs late to go overseas so that opened open opportunity there so the only like, two options i had was the bulldogs or the dragons and obviously i was going to go with wayne because you know wayne had been there i knew wayne and it was a no-brainer and he already said look come with me and so that's how that's how it worked out and then ever, ever since then then i had made a conscious effort i was like whatever wayne's going to do i'm going to stay because for two reasons i thought one i could be the best version of myself on the field and be the best player i thought he's the best coach but I didn't think that this is much, but I'm so glad I did. But more importantly, I thought I could be a better person and learn so much more off the field. And I knew that he had my back regardless. And I think that's what, uh, once I went to the Dragons, um, you know, I wanted to stay with him as long as I could because um, I really respected him and valued all the things he'd done for me up until that point. Well, it must have been a huge moment for you then, you know, in 2010 when, you know, you won the comp with the Dragons, you won a Clive Churchill medal. And like probably when you're going up, you know, your name's called out, end of the game, you just won a comp, your second one, you're walking up there, best on ground, you just be like, 
fucking get that India. You know what I mean? Like you were, how was you know how were you in that moment? Was it just like fuck? I've finally done it. Like I've, I like get that up here to the Broncos. Broncos <laughs> yeah, like get you know what I mean? Like is yeah. it? Oh, I don't think it really crossed my mind because the end of the day, you know, I, I think I just realized it was a business. You know, and I always you know I. I was so grateful I got the opportunity to go to the Dragons and in Newcastle as well. I learned a lot. It was great to go away from home, really grow as a person. You know, I went through some struggles in Newcastle, but again, I probably wouldn't be here today in the space I am without going through those struggles. So I'm really grateful that you know, I won a comp at the Dragons, so I'm so grateful I did do all those things. Um, but I still was a Broncos man, like in the, the day. Like I said, I was growing up since a little boy. I was, I was a bit homesick. Like my, Over those six years being away, like I said, my, my grandmother was getting elderly, you know, power of attorney, trying to help her, sort of her things. I used to fly back to the Gold Coast almost every weekend if I had the time. So all my best mates from Brisbane. Um, so it was still home. Yeah. Um, and I always wanted to come back. Wanted to come yeah. back. Um, I never thought I'd get a chance to come back to Brisbane. I thought if I had to go back, I'd probably have to go to the Titans. No disrespect to them, but <laughs> yeah, Brisbane you can my say team. This is very open on his podcast. <laughs> um, I had conversations with the Titans about going there before I actually went to Newcastle. Um, but um, yeah, and then and again, thankful to Wayne. You know, Wayne got the job back at the Bronx and you know, took me with him, and you know, uh, was able to go back to the Broncos, finish my career there, captain the club, and now I still work there in retirement. So. I know, it's, yeah, it's been an amazing whirlwind. It's you know, some challenges, some highlights, but yeah, very, very grateful for it all. I just want to talk through, um, yes, your, you know, your mental health journey at the um, at the nights and those three weeks. Yep. You know, what 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 did that look like? What was that period of time? Because I know, you know, you know, debunking or just like pulling the lid off and being like, this is the process. Because like I'm like writing a blog at the moment that we're sending out next week because I'm on a mental health plan. Just being like, this is the process. Like yep. this is how it happened. So what was what was that journey? To you? It was probably, um, so it was 2014, went to mental health facility. It was probably two years prior. Went to the Knights in 2012, really struggled personally uh, in my own performances and team. We, Like I said, I think we've, we missed the eight that year. Um, you know, come off three years, really successful at the Dragons. Probably just thought it was going to pick up where it left off. We had Wayne, you know, I was I went there, we got other couple of signings. Uh, it didn't work out that way. Um, I remember I got, it was, Footage of me crying in the sheds might have been half time or full time. I can't really remember. It might have been full time, pretty sure. And Wayne giving me a bit of hug, and that was just like footage, and that was on I don't know the news or some talk show or whatever. So I was really struggling with that, just that, that side of things. I was seeing. So my wife was like, "You need to, you know, see someone." That wasn't just it too. It was my mood in the house, like isolating myself. You know, not wanting to leave the house. You know, googling my name, like all these different things. My mum's troubles. You know, so many different challenges we were going through. So I was seeing a psychologist for probably two years prior to going to the mental health facility. Uh, but I wasn't really open to it. I th again, I felt like my wife was kind of pushing me into it, not because I wanted to go. Almost like she thinks there's something wrong with me. You know, like, you know, why am I going? What's wrong with me? You know, I just, I didn't get anything out of it because I didn't really want to be there. Um, long story short, you know, my wife was like, you know, 2014, like, this isn't a healthy relationship for me to be in. I can't do this anymore. I'm leaving. Uh, and that was really the rock bottom moment then. It was kind of like, you know, I looked around my house and she you know, moved out half of her stuff um, and just kind of looked around my house. I'm sitting in Newcastle. No real friends, um, not really much family. Um, Can't leave the house. Yeah, well, don't want to leave, don't the, want house. To leave the house. Uh, but just really looking around, I'm you know, 27. I've done all these things in rugby league. I've reached more than I've overachieved in my rugby league career, in my opinion. I thought I just want to play one game for the Broncos as a kid. So to do what I've done, but I'm 27, sitting in Newcastle in that half-empty house with no mum, no dad, no real family. My grandmother's got dementia, getting old. You know, most of my friends, you know, a couple are in Brisbane couple here in Newcastle but not really what I have to show for myself in my life it was just a quite a really I don't know um, 
light bulb at eye-opening moment. Just a shit. I, well, I don't know what's wrong, but I need to change. I didn't know what I had. I don't know if it was depression, anxiety. I don't know what was going on, what my mental health was doing or why I was the way I was. But I could look at old photos when I was six, seven, eight, ten-year-old kid holding trophies and smiling, going to athletics, carnivals, footy games, and this is a really happy kid. And I don't know where that happy kid went. So I rang my footy manager and said, look, I need to do something. I'm not in a good space at all. He goes, yeah. I know what to do. He rang a lady at a mental health facility uh, who I actually still keep in contact to this day. She's been amazing, like a second mother to me. Um, she rang, uh, rang me up and said that, yep, I uh, went to this mental health facility in Wentworthville. Um, she said, look, come on. I think it was, I don't know, say it was a Friday. It was going on a Monday. Come in. I'll look after you. I'll meet you at the door. We'll have it all sorted. No dramas. So I remember just getting on the phone and just instantly crying. Just I realised that, you know, organised something. I just wanted to... And I, just, I just knew I needed a change. I don't know what I was going in for. I didn't know what kind of help. I didn't know if I needed medication. I didn't know what. I just wanted to be open, honest, and just move forward. Um, and I think that was really good because it was just the best way to go in um, open to – so when I went to the mental health facility, um, you know, there's group sessions, there's individual sessions. Um, you have your own assigned psychologist or psychiatrist. Um, there's a gym. There's, you know, um, there's yoga. There's art therapy, music therapy. Um, so it was – it was quite daunting going in. We were driving up, pulling up, just looking out. It looked like this old. It's been refurbed now. It looks pretty nice. But um, at the time, it was quite. It looked like an old jail or school a little yeah, bit. It wasn't yeah. the nicest looking thing. And um, so I remember sitting in the car, being a bit nervous. But went in there, met the nurse. She was amazing. She really looked after me. Went above and beyond. Um, and then just started working on you know a plan. I guess you know worked on a plan. You know, worked on uh, my mindset. You know worked on you know gratitude, empathy. You know uh, writing in a journal. You know. Um, mindfulness, you know, yoga, you know, gym, a bit of a plan for when I left the clinic, which was important, you know, it was not to return to rugby league. Uh, that was part of my undoing. You know, go build my relationships back, go connect with my mum for the first time in eight years, um, try and build my relationship back with my wife, um, go down to the community and help others and give back, do something for somebody else instead of, you know, I felt like I was a good person, but for whatever reason, my, my uh, actions in the media, my behaviors probably made people think that I wasn't. So I kind of sometimes didn't, or if I wasn't playing well, I didn't want people to think, "Oh, what's he coming here for?" Who, you know? Mm. So just to do something for somebody else. So all these things to kind of also realize that uh, my self worth's not attached to rugby league, and I think that's what I got messed up for a long period of time. That if I wasn't playing well as a rugby league player, then I wasn't a good person, and that's just so wrong. And I think that's what so many sports people get in trouble, and probably just people in general. If you're attached to your job. It's, you're asking for trouble because when that doesn't work out or you know, things change and things change all the time and COVID's a prime example of that, then your mental health and well-being can go down really, really quickly. So I had to change that um, and just realise that I was a good person, whether I was a rugby league player or not, whether I played a bad game or not, whether our team lost or not. You know, so a lot. Of, it was a big. It was a big step. It didn't. It didn't happen overnight. I didn't go there for three weeks and magically leave and change. I didn't return to rugby league for six months. The rest of that season, a lot of criticism there. You know, with my team and didn't return to the, that club and probably some of the players not, um, I don't know, buying into maybe what I was going through or believing. Um, who really knows? Oh, that's just my own perceptions, I guess. Uh, but I had, you know, had three or four people visit me in the clinic um, and I'll really hold those people close to me because I know that through a tough time, those people really made the effort to come and visit me and you know, show support. Um but yeah, it was just, at the end of the day, it was the best thing I ever did. I was 27. I wish I did it when I was 17 because I really probably needed it then. Um, but I'm so glad I did it then, not when I finished footy at you know, 33, 34 because you know, finishing and retiring from sports hard enough and the change and challenges that you go through and 
without having to go through your own mental health journey, I guess. So to really understand me as a person, my self-worth, what I want to achieve, what's important in life, my support network, who I have around me, uh, I could really actually finish my career off the way I wanted to and also um, plan a really good you know, future for life after and uh, that's what I've been able to do. And reconnecting with your mother after you know eight years, was that something that – through the journey, uh, you know, your mental health journey, you were like, "This, I, I need to tick this off. I need to need to find um, that reconnection again and, and, you know, I suppose close things out or, you know, sort out what went on there. Like, how, how was that? I think it was just to kind of just close the door that was always left open. You know, yeah. I think it just kind of um, – we – to be honest, and this is my personality, my wife probably asks her more questions than I do, but sometimes, you know, I haven't really actually ever asked her, you know, do you know who my father is or really? what really happened, you know, all those yeah. years ago? Like, it's just, I don't know. And to be honest, you know, it's 20 years ago now, like when she was struggling with her mental health, she's been on medication for probably 20 years. Yeah. Um, and I know my wife's asked a few of those questions and she doesn't really know. So I, so I don't want to push her. And at the end of the day, she was a good mum to me for those years. I didn't understand. We lost contact. And now I've got you know, children of my own. I just want her to feel like hopefully I can bring some happiness and joy to her life. She can be a grandmother, look up, look at my three daughters I have now and um, I can kind of look after her, you know, and that's kind of the mentality I've got. And um, we don't see each other. I wish I could see her more and that's probably up to me because she's at the Gold Coast, it's not far. Um, but you know, we, whenever I drive down, my eldest daughter does nippers at Broad Beach, you know, we'll stop in on the way home or the way before. Uh, we'll take her out for Mother's Day or, you know, go for brekkie or do some things throughout the year and spend time around Christmas. So it's really nice to have her at the back of my life. And like I said, I just... Just keeping that door, just closing that door, just to know that you know she's in my life. Um, it was not the same mum son relationship that we had all those years ago, um, but I feel more uh, content in my own life now that she's back in my life. Did your experience in the time in Wentworthville in that mental health facility did that kind of give you a little bit more perspective on maybe what you know she might have been going through, even though you don't know exactly what she mm. would have been going through? The yep. fact that people do find themselves in these you know situations of psychological I guess despair oh 100% yeah I think that's you know one thing you know I was going through you know huge challenges for different reasons um and that's something that I kind of could you know I suppose self-reflect and go well obviously this is something that my mum was struggling with all these years ago and, and still you know, has troubles with so yeah I think it was something that was a bit eye-opening experience for me on a number of levels and I just really wanted to you know again um close that door and just be you know in her life whatever that looked like i wasn't i wasn't sure that looked. i didn't know where she lived i didn't know i think my wife found her on facebook i didn't know oh really i didn't know i have an address i didn't even to be honest i didn't even apart from her sending me a birthday gift here or there over the eight years i honestly wouldn't have known if she was still alive like i just wow. had no idea hadn't heard from her like i'd changed the phone numbers like you know i probably made it a conscious effort to really you know cut away cut away yeah so I really didn't know. So I didn't know what I was walking into. I didn't know who she was living with. I didn't know if she ever thought about me. I, didn't eat. I just had no idea. So um, you know, she's you know, got a couple of dogs and she's living with a friend. And um, you know, so over the last, you know, what's it been now? About eight years now. Um, you've been able to reconnect and you know, see where she lives or you know, what she does or how she gets around or what her life looks like now. And um, like I said, we spend, you know, I would say at least six or seven times together a year and um, it's nice to have her back in my life and I, I think it's great for my daughters to have more you know, family around them and more support like I didn't have when I was growing up. Totally, totally. Um, I suppose talking now post-footy, so, you know, how long – you retired two, yep. two years ago? Yep. Yeah. So how's that process been, you know, um, finishing up? Obviously had a massive career, over 300 games, like, you know, I think the average – I think we spoke to Shiloh about it. I think the average amount of 
games for an NRL person, like 40-something games, just, just yeah, under two seasons, two years, right? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Um, so, you know, we must have played for about 15, 15 yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. so um, how's that process been coming out of that, you know, 15 years of your life, which is majority, I suppose, of your life into, you know, normal civilian day-to-day yeah, living? Yeah, I think I was really lucky in a number of reasons. Obviously, the, the clinic was huge for me just to learn a lot about myself and keep you know, you know, working on my own mental health and my own well-being and learning some things about me as a person and, and ticking some boxes or closing some doors so that I was kept doing that all the way until I was about to retire and, and move into a new chapter. So that was one. Um, the other one, I think, you know, generally finding out a bit of an interest and a passion outside of rugby league, which was giving back and helping others. I really found some, um, I don't know, enjoyment, some you know, really good um, self-worth and feeling inside for doing something for somebody else. So I started off... With, at the Broncos with my uh, our well-being officer at the time when I first met him, you know, just going out to junior rugby league clubs and just talking about my, my story, my journey. We get living to come along and get out some hats and you know, wristbands, other things, and just starting off doing those type of things. Um, so that's kind of worked into you know, essentially some of the things I do now for the Bronx um, and even privately as well, some talks and workshops through schools and other mm-hmm. things. So that's been you know, doing something for somebody else, giving back, helping others. It's really been you know, beneficial, not only for me and my journey, but just for my uh, meaning and purpose in life, I guess, having a genuine... Um, I suppose, yeah, meaning in life outside of rugby league, something I really, really enjoy, but it's not rugby league. Um, and then, to be honest, in a weird way, I think COVID was really good for that as well, uh, just because, you know, the whole comp shut down and we had some challenges. You weren't allowed to leave your house when you were playing. I played in that last year in 2020 of COVID. The comp shut down after two weeks. Yeah, I'd already announced my retirement in the preseason, so that could have been my last two games. And uh, we ended up playing another 18, I think it was, in the end. But um, So just understanding that, you know, we had pay deductions, so even just going through less pay, because obviously I was going to be on less pay when I retired. So there's all these little transitions, I think, just really, really set me up, you know, realising that um, footy isn't an be-all and end-all. It's going to finish at some point. Um, but very, very grateful for what I've been able to experience in that and maybe use some of those tools uh, in the next phase of life. Um and just and have a genuine plan. I think that's what I've been able to do. And in, in, in good things happen. I always think good things happen to good people. And um, I never planned on staying in rugby league. I knew I was working at the Broncos doing some things. Um, and the coaching stuff, you know, popped up, which I've been really enjoying, enjoying more than I probably thought I would. Um, and that's probably helped too, to be honest. I'm still, I basically work at the Broncos five days a week, whether it's yeah, in okay. the community or whether it's some positional coaching. Um, so I'm, I'm there almost every day. I see some of the same faces, have a coffee with some of the blokes. We talk about, football and plays or yeah, you probably are you probably talk about well-being or yeah. how's your family go talk about the same kind of thing you're being that figure for them now that you that i had when have, you were yeah, yeah or, or needed but yeah. but it's just um i just don't put the boots on on friday and don't get criticized on monday so it's probably a win-win to be honest <laughs> yeah. i mean it must be interesting at the moment like looking at what Payne's going through mm. with the past couple of weeks like he's under the spotlight hard yeah. like we're getting be, booed by your own yeah, crowd fuck. fuck at home like that's hectic. This is how hard it is, right? If you if you don't play well, you get sprayed and you get hammered. He's been the best prop in the game for a couple of years, <laughs> and he's only twenty one or twenty two. Yeah, and he's getting and yes, it's a different reason, but he's getting hammered too. And he's he's at the peak of his powers, absolute freak, and couldn't be a better player. You know, at right this point in time. And yes, we know what's happened, and it's up for debate what you think about it or how it's panned out, or if that's actually the true story. But end of the day, he's getting hammered, and he's at the peak of his powers. So. What happens when he doesn't play well? Has you know an injury or he, you know, doesn't totally. Have We've a only got a finite window. That's what I mean. It's just it's it's never ending. That's the sad part is that he's at the peak of his. You know, Charles Mitchell was at that point a year or two ago when he was changing clubs and he was getting absolutely hammered. He's this young superstar of a kid coming through that's going to be you know 
I wouldn't say the next GI, he's the next Latrell Mitchell, but he's a freak of the game, the next superstar, and he was getting sprayed because he was going to go change different clubs. They didn't know where he was going, he had a visit in town, had a visit somewhere else, and there was all this criticism and negativity, negativity around it. And that's worrying because when you're at the peak and you're still getting criticism, Hammered, yeah. then what's it going to be like when you're at the at the pit, you know? And that's only – if it's consistent, that's what you really start to worry about people's mental health. Totally, totally. Do you look at your journey, your story, being the shy kid, being going through what you went through with your family, even just listening to you talk now? Like I, I've never heard you talk anywhere, I don't think. Like, And you have a really good way with words, the way you're talking about, you know – footy career, just emotional intelligence, all this kind of stuff. Like, is that what you thought, how you thought you'd turn out? No, no, I remember when I was younger and I, the whole media side of thing, we used to do, you know, media training, other things. I was 18, 19-year-old kid and they used, to, they used to always bring up um, little, like, uh, what's the word, like, examples of players. It'd be like, you know, I know you don't like talking now, but, you know, one day you'll probably, you'll be probably talking on the media when you finish your career or you'll be doing this, you'll be doing that. And I was like, that's no chance. That's not me, you know. And I still, it isn't it isn't me to an extent, but I still do go and talk about, you know, mental health and well-being in a different, different setting. I'm not probably on the camera doing it, um, but to, you know, groups, organisations, school kids, you know, sharing my story, my journey, running workshops, those type of things. Um, you know, getting up in front of a crowd was never my thing, never has been. But when you're doing it, for the good of somebody else and you, you're passionate about it, then I think it um, can flow on. Yeah. yeah. And I think yeah. it just, it just, I don't know, it just, it resonates with you. It just works. And I think that's something that I, if you told me, yeah, 10 years ago, I'd be doing what I'm doing now. I would never have thought it, but it's something that I really enjoy. And I'm you know, grateful I get the opportunity to do it. Amazing. Well, I mean, thanks so much for your time. It was, uh, yeah, it's incredible to, to chat through, get, uh, you know, a, a really in-depth understanding of your journey and your mental health journey, you know, through your career, what you're up to now. Um, you know, thanks for all the support. Being on the panel the other day, repping your trademark shirt. Um, obviously, shirt. yeah, supporting uh, TX with, um, yeah, that connection as well. So, yeah, Darius, on behalf of, yeah, Dan and I and the whole trademark team and everyone listening, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks, appreciate mate. It. Good on you. Thank you. Awesome. That was great. If I stop, I'll die. <laughs>